Welcome back to the Lynx Golf Podcast, new season of the Lynx Golf Podcast, season five. And happy to be joined here again by uh, my good friend Ryan Aselta. Ryan, how's it going, man? Oh, all good. All good, Al. Doing good up in New Jersey. Hanging in there. <laughs> That's all right. What I say, right? <laughs> Everyone is is hanging in there, it seems like, or are trying to at least. You know, as we're recording this, these are uncertain times and crazy, unlike anything else we've experienced days of our lives. And it's good that we figured out how to do the, the Skype call back last season so we can actually resume this business as usual but but everything else seems to be kind of kind of different i was on twitter the other day and saw ryan post a video playing golf with his son but you know it, it's not like a normal round would be the podcast is about our dream nine par fours which is relevant right now too as we're all dreaming of of playing golf all over the world um or even just going outside to play golf but uh before we get into that, uh, I wanted to talk to Ryan about this uh, this last round he played um, with his son and what that experience was like. So yeah, it, yeah. it certainly was different. Now we, we, we the plan was you know we've been home working, the kids have been schooling from home, and when I saw the weather forecast, it was supposed to be up into the 60s. And he said, let's get out there in the afternoon when they're done with their schoolwork and go. So I took my youngest out to Bally Owen Golf Club, which is part of Crystal Springs Resort in western New Jersey, about 50 miles outside of Manhattan. And um, it was certainly different. It, it, everything was basically done ahead of time. I, I booked the tee time online, paid ahead of time. And the rules were basically as we were inching towards a, a, a full shutdown in New Jersey, this was the last day it turned out that New Jersey was going to be open. Uh, you pay online, you show up, and that's it. You hop in a cart. They were letting carts out. They only wanted one person per cart. But since my son was my playing partner, we were good there. I sanitized the cart when I got there. I brought some wipes with me. Uh, we brought our own snacks, our own lunch, our own drinks since the clubhouse was basically closed. And we went right out. And, you know, the course had people on it. There were plenty of people playing golf and kind of probably in the same set mindset of trying to get one more round in before they shut anything down. Uh, the pins were staying in the holes. We were instructed to keep the pins in and they had these trays at the bottom of the cups where basically the ball would not go, you know, fall into the cup more than and like half the ball would stay out. Half the ball would go in uh, to keep people from touching anything. So we played our round. We had a great time. We, it was just so good to get out of the house and be out there and play some golf. We were starting to feel like it was spring a little bit. Unfortunately, when the round was over, it was over. There was nowhere to go. There was no uh, 19th hole. The course usually actually has a bagpiper come out late in the day, and it's like an invitation to finish your round and go grab a cocktail in, in the clubhouse. No bagpiper, no bar, no restaurant, no clubhouse. I felt bad for the the, the cart guys who who a couple of them were working. You know, I gave I went over and gave them a tip, threw some money in a box. You know, there was no interaction. We had to stay away from each other. And then we hit the road, and it turned out that was the last round we're going to play for a bit now. New Jersey went into a full shutdown the next day, and golf courses are closed all over the state right now, which is such a shame because people are dying to get outside a little bit. And it looked like golf was going to be the one place where people could safely enjoy some kind of exercise, entertainment, athletics. But unfortunately, that's not the case. So I'm, I'm so glad I got that last round in. Al, I hope it's not my last round for too long, but – I have a feeling it might be for a little while. Yeah, like you were saying, golf was kind of, um, in a lot of people's minds, it was kind of that last like thing that people were holding on to um, in terms of recreation and then being able to go outside and and play sports. And you know, even that's not been immune to um, the effects from COVID nineteen. Uh, as it turns out, more and more courses are are adding different measures to to ensure that they're being safe when people are playing a lot of courses like up in New Jersey are just closing for the time being. So we're all hoping that this doesn't last a long time. It'll be interesting to see also how many of these measures that are being added in to daily play uh, continue on or, or last and, and become a norm for the game. Um, and there's really no way to tell based on how this thing develops, what the future of golf looks like. Yeah, I agree. I think even when 
you know, maybe the all clear is given at some point. I think courses are going to play it safe and they're going to keep pins in and probably keep those trays in there for the months to come just because of the unknown. No course wants to be the one where someone got sick. So if that's what we have to do to get back on the golf course, then I'm all for it. Absolutely. Maybe it's time we get motorcycles on the golf course. If we're going to be (laughs) single riders, you know, maybe we start riding around in choppers everywhere. Um, we were trending, right? Weren't we going those scooters? The certain we're seeing those all around the golf yeah, course. Yeah, the golf uh, boards. Yeah, the You've golf boards those. and the uh, yeah the the two wheelers that they're going around like you were a, a mall cop or something. Those were those, those could come right. back in and be pretty popular. Uh, segways, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. There's there's nothing like a good old fashioned walk either, but right. um, remains to be seen. So. Uh, in the spirit of dreaming about playing golf, Ryan has written his his next segment uh, of his series Dream Nine for Lynx uh, Digital, and you can find that on LynxMagazine.com. Uh, the first series Ryan and I talked about on a podcast as well. We talked about par threes, which par threes seemed a lot easier, I think, than the next phase of that. Par threes is well, in par fives as well, too, there's there's less to choose from. There's All just right. so many more par fours out there. So now that we've gotten to dream nine par fours, I had to really think. And it'll be, again, interesting to see if I revisit this. I think this one, more than the threes and the fives, will change over time as I think more and, and play more places. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the threes just... The par threes leave such a memory because they're shorter. You, the use of land, a lot of them are usually over water. So uh, the memories of par threes were, were – there were so many to choose from. Par fours, I mean, they can get kind of mundane, repetitive. There's so many of them. So you really have to think back to the ones that leave a lasting memory. Par fives, when we get to that, eventually I think we'll have more to choose from just because – you know, they generate birdies, maybe even an eagle. Those always, you know, leave a lasting imprint in your golf memory bank when you have those. So, but the par fours were, were they were tough. They had to, I had to think a little bit, think through and, and really pick uh, some of them. And what I did, Al, I tried to let our, our readers know and let our listeners know, remember, this is very subjective, right? This is my dream nine. This is a combination of courses I've played combination of courses that I've only dreamed about playing. And yes, you're going to agree with me. I, when I did the par threes, I got some backlash. How could you not choose this course or this hole? Hey, this was my nine, right? Your nine's going to be a little different. Al, it sounds like yours is a lot different this time around. So it's all subjective. We all got our own dream nine, right? Yeah. Well, and that being said, the early feedback is is also like more of the same. Like people are, how could you not include this? It's like, yeah, okay. You have your own dream nine. Everyone has a different dream out there. But you're also right. The first dream nine part threes we did, you and I had three of the same holes on our lists. Right. This time around, I only have one hole that's the same for you. I have one course that I picked that's the same that I picked a different hole on that course. Okay. Um, everything else is different. Uh, I've separated mine out also in groups of threes. Just Okay. I did that at the end because I, I recognized I could split it up into categories. So, so we have the the list that's the same. That will go in my three holes that I consider staple favorites of mine, just favorite holes in general. I have three holes that I consider to be recency bias holes, prisoner of the moment maybe that I've seen or played recently that I'm like, wow, that that hole is really cool, and maybe that's why I'm thinking of it, and then. I happen to have three 18th holes, so I considered that my ultimate finishers category. Perfect. Uh, and I don't know about you. I don't know if you had any sort of order or rhyme or reason uh, the way you put your holes together. I didn't. Um, I tried to. I definitely finished with with my favorite closer for for an 18. Uh, I've got a couple, just two 18 18th holes. So maybe I'll save them for my last group that we talk about. <laughs> And I kind of, I, I jumped right in with some of the big boys because they were just not only fresh in my mind, but they're the ones that really get me excited when I think about them. So I got to them right away. Okay. 
Let's start with the one we agreed on, and I haven't told you this yet. Do you have a guess, actually, if, in terms of the hole we both would have on our list? This is the one we have on our list, same hole, and you have played it, correct? I haven't played all the holes on my list, but I have played this one, yes. This one. Uh, I was going to guess uh, Pebble Beach number eight. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's I don't know that you it'd be tough to play all the courses that you have on on your list. So good guess, though. Yeah, well, uh, I knew I knew you had played Pebble. So I, I remember us yeah. talking about that. And and ironically, this is one of the few holes that I haven't played. So I think you got to lead the charge on this. I've only, you know, looked at Pebble number eight, uh, watched it on TV each year at the AT&T and of course at the US Open. But what a spectacular looking hole, Al. I mean, what's it like to walk that hole and go towards the edge of that cliff for your approach shot in? I mean, amazing. It's strange. And Let's also point out that you and I both had the seventh hole at Pebble Beach on our par threes list. Right. So right. we were some Pebble Beach lovers here, clearly. But the eighth hole, again, I had seen this course on TV, played it in video games, things like that. You don't really get the perspective of what the drop off looks like once you get to the edge of the fairway and then you have this. 100 plus foot cliff drop off back down onto the beach played the first shot and it's it's less than a driver off the tee i hit i went rescue rescue into the green on the eighth hole um and it was actually it might have been the the best hole of my round that i played so that was i was pretty pumped about that especially after sailing one in the water on seven and making double there a um, little redemption so rescue off the tee and that was almost too much too i was basically at i had 15 yards before the drop off so you really can't take too much unless you're going to go way left um, but that kind of gives you an awkward approach into that green which the green is super small there's a little opening right at the front if you were to hit one short and roll one up but there's five bunkers completely surrounding this thing and um i happened to hit a really good second shot same club that i just swung and two putted and made par and was stoked but you you can't really tell because you're you're kind of going back up a hill before you get to this cliff again then it's a wide open drop off like nothing you've really ever seen before yeah, I mean, just just in looking at it, I mean, aesthetically, it's it's unbelievable to just look at the cliffs and uh, the water crashing up right against the cliffs of the hole there, and how narrow the green is approach. I thought it was interesting in some of my research that Jack Nicholas had called it his favorite shot in all of golf. So, um, hey, if it's good enough for Jack, it's good enough for me. And I had to put it on my list, uh, even though I haven't played it. And like I've told you before. I will get to Pebble Beach. There's no doubt in my mind. And, you know, there's I kind of feel guilty not including a hole from Pebble Beach on each of these uh, dream nines because I dream about playing the golf course. And uh, and number eight, I'm sure, will be a highlight. That stretch seven and eight will be just such a highlight when I eventually get there. I don't know about you, but I, I love a good shot. That's where you're highly elevated, hitting to a green down below just watching the shot kind of drop and and be, you don't really get that angle anywhere commonly right you have to play a really really out there kind of drastic course that that where you get some elevation change add that on to the fact that you're hitting over a oceanside cliff is it makes it spectacular yeah it makes you think too right you got to take the 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 drop off uh into account for the yardage you got to take the wind obviously which it's there's always some kind of wind coming off the ocean that's the fun part about golf trying to figure all that out and then like you said you're hitting a, a hybrid off the tee i love i love holes like that where you hit a hybrid off the tee you got to put your ball in a certain spot leave yourself the the distance as you want and then you got to calculate what you need to get into the green sounds like you did it pretty well though so nice job yeah, uh, give it to me nine more times, and I may be <laughs> one for ten for that same thing, but happened to work out for me that time. Um, okay, so let's move on to we each have eight holes left. How do you want to? You want to do 
So you have two two 18s to finish. So maybe we do, let's do three, three, two. Okay, three, in. three, two. Okay, yeah. all right. Yeah. So I started my, my Dream 9 off with the 10th hole at Riviera, um, which we've also seen on TV quite a bit. And I was lucky enough to play this past uh, February. I got to play in the Pro-Am for the Genesis Invitational, which was unbelievable what an experience and we teed off on 10 we went off on the back uh, i played along with our pro was jason kokrak Paige sporanic played with us in our group we had just a great time but starting off on 10 was just an experience having to announce our name uh on the tee box with a gallery around us and hey it's it's one of the arguably the best drivable par four in all of golf. It was such an interesting experience. You know, you had Kokrak playing from the, the back tees and Kokrak steps up first with a three wood and he just blasts this tee shot, lands the green, rolls to about 20, 25 feet from the hole. And then we're up playing forward a, a little bit. And, you know, I think it was measuring, uh, it must have been up around 300, maybe a little bit less with the tees up. And certainly I didn't come to Riviera, you know, across country to to lay up on 10 at Riviera. So I pulled out my driver and uh, hit a pretty good one. It faded a little bit into the rough. I left myself about 40, 50, 40 yards in out of the rough. And then that's where the hole just shows its teeth. If, if you don't do what Kokrak did, and I don't think many of us are able to do that, you've got a short approach into a green that is just narrow. It tilts from front to back. It's bunkered on the right. It's almost impossible to hold it, especially coming out of the rough where I did. I hit a pretty good shot out of the rough. It rolled right off the back. And then I hit a great chip from a collection area and left it to about a foot. So I was able to make up and down for par, but such a fun hole. And we've seen it. You've got the you know, you've got the, the the iconic Riviera trees surrounding the green and it, just the whole experience led to um, me to put that on uh, number number one to kick off my my dream nine of par fours. Next on my list, I've got Oakmont, uh, number three at Oakmont, the iconic church pews uh, at Oakmont. I've never played Oakmont. I've been there. I've walked the course. I walked <laughs> I walked a lot of the course uh, at the U.S. Open back in 2016 and watched a lot of golf out there, walked prop end to end on that gigantic property. But I would love to give that a go. And you know what? I mean, if I pull my tee shot on three into the ch- church pews, that, that'd probably be okay. I'll end up making at least a double out of there. But just the, the – and basically it looks like 12 church pews. We've all seen it. But the, the way that they've divided that up in between the third and fourth fairways and then when they grow the grass in between the bunkering is when it just becomes almost impossible to get out of. Um, I couldn't imagine being there at, at full bloom you know, during the U.S. Open when they really grow it out and being stuck in either the bunker or on well, you know, one of the slopes of one of those church pews with the, the high fescue grass – and then it, your your approach in from there is, you know, tremendously difficult. It's basically a blind uphill approach shot to a very, very tricky green. So, I mean, you know why the pros don't go low at Oakmont. You see the scores that we see. It's, it's because of holes like number three and also number four right next door. And the third one for this group, probably the favorite, my favorite golf hole I've ever played, Al. And that might surprise some people. And that's Augusta National number 10. There's something about that hole that is just visually appealing to me. It's been that way on television for years for me. And then when I finally made it to Augusta and walked the golf course a few times there and then had the chance to play Augusta the the Monday after the 2000 and – 16 masters, I believe it was, uh, after Spieth's collapse, I played the Monday after. And you know, what people always tell you at Augusta is the, the elevation changes or, you know, they just don't do it any justice on television. And at 10, you know, it's more relevant than any place on the golf course. I think the green is about 106 feet below the tee box. So, just that to appeal. We talked about, you know, that approach at, at Pebble Beach on coming in from up high, down low to a green. Well, teeing off from the highest point at Augusta National with, you know, the cabins to your left. You've got the 18th green and the scoreboard to your right. The clubhouse is behind you and you can just blast it off. And if you catch the right center of that fairway, 
it'll just shoot down for miles and roll and roll. And then the approach is just surrounded by these pines and the bunkering on the right. It's just visually spectacular. I made bogey. I, I pulled my approach. I had a great tee shot, pulled my approach. I think it was a five iron, a uh, little bit left and ended up making bogey after chipping on and, and two putting. But Probably my favorite favorite par four that I've ever played, which is surprising because it doesn't get a huge amount of attention when you talk about Augusta National and so many great holes. But number 10 does it for me. Yeah. And I'm looking at a picture of the 10th at Augusta from behind the green as you're describing that hole. That I think that adds to – I would encourage people to, if you can – while you're listening to the podcast, try to find a picture of these holes so you have a visual of what Ryan and I are talking about. And I, just then, just doing that now, I'm like, wow, yeah, I can see exactly what he means and, and the places you need to hit or avoid. Kind of cool. Follow-up on a couple of the first two you mentioned, Riviera, I love a good drivable par four. Who doesn't? You're going to see that play into my list coming down the way. But that's pretty cool that you got to start on that hole, too. Yeah. Had to have been unique there. And then uh, Oakmont, I was going to ask, when you went and and watched the U.S. Open there, do you remember uh, specifically, did you you sit out there and watch some people go through that hole, and do you remember anyone particularly struggling and you really realizing that, you know, even for the pros, this is something to be reckoned with you know what i did i didn't um i didn't see anyone struggle there but i went out one afternoon very late in the day and actually all the play had gone past that hole i mean it was three so there really wasn't anyone left playing the course at that point and i was working my way back to the media center and i was able to just cross right through the third fairway and i stood behind the bunkering and kind of got a glimpse of what that might be like if you're standing in there. I was behind it in the rough, but if you step into the bunkers, you drop down another couple of feet, and then you've got a couple of feet of fescue up above you. So I kind of just got a sense of you don't want to be here, uh, whether you're a pro or just teeing it up at Oakmont. That's not the place you want to be. But like I said, I kind of, if I went to Oakmont, I feel like I want to hit a shot out of there. I want to, I want to give it a go, right? Even as penal as it could be. That's another thing to be said too. Like, you know, maybe I'll get lucky and end up on on one of the, on top of one of the pews. Like, that's not rough. That's fescue. So, yeah. almost worse actually if you end up on top of one of them. But yeah, yeah, you're probably right. You'd rather be in the bunker, and at least you know you could probably pull up a pull up some kind of wedge and just get it out of there and be safe. Yeah. All right. So my turn. I'm going to start with the first three holes that I put on my list are my recency bias holes. So trying to come up with my list of holes, there's a couple that I, I mean, in the past week I saw, and so they stick out in my head when I was trying to think of them. I was like, that's a really cool hole that I've never seen before. And then one that I played pretty recently that also sticks out. So uh, the first on my list is the eighth hole at Prairie Dunes uh, in Kansas. That's a perennial top you know 50 top 25 even golf course known as the as they put it a little bit of scotland in the land of oz i would really like that catchphrase for that course but i actually recently saw uh, a profile of this hole um, in a video on the fried egg i saw that on their newsletter and and they have a youtube page as well that has similar videos but but this hole is is really one of the more unique ones i've seen out there if you look that up, you can see the contouring in the fairway is so sporadic and rolling, and you can have so many different lies based on where you hit it. You really have to think your way through this hole. If you end up on the right, you've got a less accessible, it's shorter, but it's a harder shot to the green. If you're left, it's longer, it's a little more open. Think about Kansas, and that just flat prairie land is exposed to the wind, so that's going to play into your... Uh, challenge there and and the green kind of runs left to right and front to back and um, it just looked like something that I would want to try so that that one yes I it was a recent you know addition to my memory bank of of really good holes but uh, I thought it was a worthy choice for my list my next one is also a recent one I saw and and 
a little shout out to Ian Kreitzer. He used to work here at, at Lynx. He posted a picture of this hole recently that I was just kind of blown away by. And that's the third hole at Astoria Golf and Country Club out in Warrenton, Oregon. So it's a 378-yard hole, but what's unique about this hole is that it's cut through two 65-foot sand dunes. So it looks like you're playing golf in a half pipe. Picture snowboarding half pipe that is just covered with grass, and the whole bottom of that is your fairway. They call themselves the St. Andrews of the Pacific. So a lot of people using that home of golf homage in their taglines when they're talking about their courses, I noticed. But it was you'll have to look this hole up too because i've never seen anything like it and it made me want to play it immediately seeing seeing some pictures from it but you know if you don't hit hit it in the fairway if you hit it on the right or left side you're going to be stuck with a footing and an and hitting angle like nothing you've ever tried before so that one makes my list uh both of those two courses visual aesthetics is big for me and, you know, I just want to experience it. Uh, the last hole in my recency bias holes is the ninth at Streamsong Black, uh, which I had the chance to play around the PGA show earlier this year down in Florida. It's my first true experience playing a, a hole with a punch bowl green. Um, so you see when you get up to the tee, because your, your second shot's going to be blind into the punch bowl, uh, they have a little map of the green that tells you where the flag's going to be because you, you're not going to be able to see it. So knowing that ahead of time, you know, a lot of times I know where the flag is and it doesn't necessarily play into my strategy off the tee, but this really makes you consider where you need to be to head into this green. And then your second shot, again, completely blind. Once you get on the green, you know, you can kind of visualize it it's be it'd be really fun to be able to watch that shot land and see how that rolls um but you can kind of use the they have this the you know the staple iconic visual element of that course is this steel windmill um, that's constantly creaking and blowing in the wind there you kind of use that as a line for your shot and then once you get on the green i just thought it was fun after finishing that hole kind of rolling around these roller coaster putts all the way around, seeing how different ways you could end up gathering back to the hole. Punch bowls are just kind of really fun. I've become enamored with those too. It's uh, it makes things easier when you hit the green When you don't hit the green, <laughs> you know, adds another element of challenge that you don't really get on any other type of green. So all those holes kind of stuck with me as, as recent uh, favorites of mine. Yeah, I, you got some good one, good ones in there. I just pulled up some of the pictures. Um, the, the hole at at Astoria, wow! That, I mean, it, that is really cool with the mountains in the background, and it looks like yeah, you're you're going into a, <laughs> you look like you're hitting into the Lincoln Tunnel here in New York. I mean, yeah. what a cool visual off the tee. And then the ninth at Streamsong. I mean, I love the punch bowls. I agree. If you can hit any part of that green, it's usually going to funnel pretty good for you. But I think it looks pretty unique. The punch bowl surrounded by sand is something that's very unique. Closest thing I can think of, maybe the green at uh, the par three at Sleepy Hollow, a little bit that's guarded like that. But wow, that, that what a what a cool approach in, and the windmills just add such character to what yeah. uh, Stream Song is about. That's on my list of of definitely places to get to. You definitely should. Um, all right, I'm going to go. This is my, my next three here. This one, I'll start off with this is a dream hole because I, I don't know if I'll ever get there. I put the 18th hole at Pine Valley on my list. Um, and mostly because, like I said, it'd be a dream to just get in the gates there and play the golf course. If I was playing 18 at Pine Valley, it meant that I was completing around at arguably the toughest golf course to get on in America. I mean, maybe up there with Augusta, no one gets to play Pine Valley. I mean, I know a couple people that I've come in contact with that have been on the course there. Uh, and it's usually rated number one, uh, you know, on top course in America, multiple publications year after year. So that would just be a dream come true, I guess you'd say 424 yards. And it's, you know, 
It's quite the finish. I mean, you have a, a tough tee shot. If you're lucky enough to land the fairway, you've got to carry bunker, water, and more bunker to get up to the green. And then you've got to deal with the the, the green complex up on the 18th hole. So it would just be uh, spectacular, a dream come true, a fantasy. This might be my fantasy hole on my dream nine list, Al, um, but Pine Valley number 18. Next hole is a hole I have played. It's the ninth hole at Shinnecock Hills. Played it about a month before the U.S. Open back in 2018. So it was in prime condition. And what a cool hole. I've noticed also in in this list that I came up with, I'm kind of more – I kind of lean more towards dogleg left. Um, I've had a few of those holes. And I don't know if that just appeals to my my – my eyes on the tee box, but the ninth hole is a 379-yard dogleg left with the Shinnecock Clubhouse is just staring you down from atop the hill. The history there, the course, that's the oldest clubhouse uh, in America in golf. Uh, It was the first one ever built strictly to be a golf clubhouse. So that's looking at you from the top of the hill. And I hit a really good drive and I literally rolled out of the fairway yard and a half out and I get up to my ball and because we were a month before the US Open I could barely see my golf ball that's how far down in the rough it was it was at that phase where the USGA was growing the rough before they trimmed it for the pros so it was difficult hacked out of there to the fairway and then the sec it would be my third shot usually someone's second shot up to the green it's straight uphill I think it's probably about club and a half maybe two clubs uphill and there are these pot bunkers on the left side that you just have to stay away from and then the green slopes severely back to front so if you're long you're going to have a very fast tricky putt coming back and I pulled my third shot into one of those bunkers and it was uh, treacherous I was pin high in one of these bunkers it took me a couple shots to get out I think it ended up being a double bogey but you felt you know, you felt the teeth of Shinnecock, which is what, you know, it's fun to play these courses that the pros play because the really hard ones, you you feel it. You feel why it's tough on the pros and, and why it should be tough on you, too. So but such a such a cool hole. And then the last in my group here, uh, I put the 17th hole at the old course at St. Andrews. Just felt like I had to. It's the road hole. It's the home of golf. It's the the hole where when I eventually someday get to St. Andrews, it's like Pebble. I will get to Pebble. I will get to St. Andrews. There's not there's no ifs. I may someday get to play Pine Valley. I doubt it, but I will make sure I get to St. Andrews and Pebble Beach. And and the road hole, the force carry, you know, over the the the, the railway sheds at the the hotel. Just it's got to mess with your mind. It messes with the mind of pros at the British Open. Um, and anyone who's played there, you're thinking about something other than just the fairway. You're thinking about the hotel. Don't push it right too far. Otherwise, you're going to put it on someone's patio at the hotel. So that just messes with you. And then um, obviously it comes into a shallow green, a difficult second shot in. So uh, the road hole definitely had to be on my list. And we'll see it again. It looks like the, the Open Championship is there next year. Hopefully, depending on making sure that the schedule doesn't get too jumbled this year, but hopefully we'll be seeing the road hole again in 2021. Those are, yeah, I'd say those are, you talked about Pine Valley being a a fantasy type of hole, but I think all three of those are probably things of fantasy for sure. And I remember my dad maybe explaining to me the first time what that 17th hole at St. Andrews was like and like, what are you, you hit over a hotel? What are you talking about? (laughs) But uh, that's just such a cool hole. The Pine Valley one, looking at a picture here that we put into the article, sand, water, sand, <laughs> green, ridiculous. That, then, that, that hole looks like a bear. I mean, yeah. you get beat up by Pine Valley all day, and then that's – you've got to finish on that hole. I mean, it's certainly not an easy walk in. And then Shinnecock is just, gosh, just so gorgeous, that property, really unlike anything else out there in that clubhouse is, is I, I want to step foot in that clubhouse. Yeah. Uh, just looking at it. Okay. So I will get to then you mentioned St. Andrews and I mentioned we had a similar course or same course and I'm talking about St. Andrews. Uh, so I'll start there in my next list of three. I went with the 18th hole at St. Andrews. So the next hole and here's why. So, 
playing that 18th hole, kind of kind of similar to you when you're talking about if I've played this hole, that means I'm there playing this course. Mm-hmm. Same as St. Andrews. If I'm playing the 18th hole at St. Andrews, that means likely I've played the other 17 before that already. And unless you're playing the course backwards, uh, like it's intended to be played, which is rare, but for the sake of the common man, we're playing the source course straight up as it is today. So that means I've played the road hole. I've experienced that. What I really want to experience is that walk over Swilkin Bridge and get a picture there, just like so many people have done for over 700 years or whatever it is. And it's on the shorter side, as I recall, too. So you can get a drive up there close to the green. You've got the clubhouse behind. It's just the that finish at, at so many opens over the years you, that you've seen is um, I'm, a, I'm a sucker for finishes that are, are things of legend and to be able to experience that hole would be really cool for me like you I'm, I'm gonna get there haven't done it yet but I will and so that I guess that could be considered a part of my like staple favorites even though I haven't played it as well it was on my ultimate finishers list but for the sake of the 3-3-2 order that we're going I'll throw it in there in my staple favorites, funny enough, they're actually both the sixth hole at the course that I'm playing. So kind of kind of strange how that worked out. But back to, oh, now I'm looking at it too, and I actually noticed that they're both drivable par fours. So returning to my original point about how that would play in, both of these holes are drivable par fours. The first one being the sixth at Wailea Golf Club mm. uh, in Maui, the gold course. You think about golf in Hawaii and these tremendous vistas and ocean views and and everything else. What you don't think about probably is this hole, but it's one that stuck out for me because it's actually one of the few holes that doesn't have an ocean view. But to me, it immediately grabbed my attention and shifted it to, you know, the golf course as opposed to staring out at the ocean the entire time. Um, so at the back tees of this hole, 287, but there are bunkers everywhere, and there's lava rock everywhere like there is on this course. It's not too penal, though, which I really liked. So even if you end up in one of those bunkers, it's not going to be a tremendously difficult shot to the screen. So there's no point in pulling out anything else, in my mind, than the driver and just ripping it and going for it and see what happens. I've had the, the chance to play that hole a couple of times, and I'll stand by that that statement that just go for it. I think I ended up making par once from the bunker, once from almost the tee box on the next hole, but that left me with like a 30 or 40 yard approach shot. So it's a, it's a fun hole. And as, as good as the other ones are with, with staring out into the Pacific and the other islands of Hawaii, that hole to me was my favorite actually of that course. Mm. The other hole I'm going to mention here is the sixth at winter park golf course, the winter park nine in just outside of Orlando. This hole, it's 262 from all the way back. Just like many of the other holes at Winter Park, they're not you know tremendously long because they pack this course tight into the town. It's been there for years and years. You're going to want to take... You're going to want to think about what you need to do on this hole because, yes, it is drivable, but there are certain things that come into play. There's a huge grove of trees immediately to your right. If you want to hit the green, you're going to have to either go over the trees or a sweeping, if you're a right-hander, sweeping cut around the trees. If you try that and you hit the trees, you're toast because it's a good 100 yards worth of really thick Spanish moss, you're, you're going to have a tough time accessing the green from there if, if you end up in the trees. Go too far, and you're going to end up on a train track. There's a, a the local in-town train. Um, I think the Sunrail in Orlando operates on that line. Um, I could be wrong about that. But if you pull driver and you if you catch one and normally like you're you hit one really good and you're 260 270 i'd be careful using the driver i like using the three wood then again if you hit short you could end up in a situation it's a precarious little green they call it a a lion's mouth green because it it wraps around this front bunker think of 
a lion opening its mouth for a big roar, and that open space is bunker. So the other unique thing about that is the pins on one side of that lion's mouth and you end up on the other, you could be in a situation where you're either having to chip on the green over a bunker or hit it dangerously close. I can't remember who did that recently in a golf tournament, a kind of similar situation where they tried to putt around a green and just ended up putting right into the bunker, um, which could very easily happen on this hole. So to me, that this was always the most fun hole to play at that course because of the risk-reward element. And if you if you end up uh, shooting yourself in the foot, you just kind of laugh at it because, like, why did I even try to do that? <laughs> uh, but when it works out for you, you you could have a putt for eagle on this par four. So yeah, uh, that's the fun, fun of it, right? Now, I mean, you <laughs> you got to go for it. I mean, otherwise, I mean, you get called out by your buddies if you don't, right? I mean, yeah. <laughs> Winter Park gets a lot of uh, a lot of love on social media. I, I think I'm next time I'm in the Orlando area. I gotta I gotta check out the Winter Park Nine. I've seen a lot of postings and you speaking highly of it as well. So that might be uh, on my list next time I'm down there. For sure, fifteen twenty bucks, easy to walk, and of course has a lot of character. Yeah, yeah, very cool. Um, all right, I'm gonna finish with my my two closers, uh, the two. Actually, no, I got, I got, I, got uh, I, I messed up our order, didn't I? <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I only got one closer. I've got a, well, threw... I'm coming down the home stretch. I've got a 16th hole and an 18th hole I'm going to finish with. You, threw, um, you couldn't resist throwing Pine Valley in earlier. I understand. Yeah, yeah. Sorry about that. So we're, we're going to make the home stretch here. This is a course uh, not a ton of people may know about. It's called the Captain's Course in Brewster, Massachusetts, which is on Cape Cod. It's a 36 hole municipal town operated golf course the starboard course and the port and the starboard number 16 is uh, one of my favorite par fours that i've played we go up to cape cod every summer for our family vacation and um i've been playing captains for gosh going on probably 20 25 years now it's just got such a nice feel to it. You're not on the water, but you feel the water's presence, if that makes sense. The breeze is constantly just coming through the golf course, big, tall Cape Cod pine trees. So you feel like you are near the ocean, even though you're still a few miles from it. And I just have great memories of the golf course. The 16th hole is strong. It reminds me for some reason of a couple holes at Bethpage Black, the way it's laid out. It's a 427 par four, which is long for this course. You have a couple of, you know, some easier par fours, 360, 370, where you're hitting that hybrid off the tee. This is a legit par four with a fairway that slopes right to left. And the basically the second half of the fairway is lined up the left side with bunkering. And then there's a huge drop off into the woods on the left side as well. So you really got to place your tee shot up the right center of the fairway, get some roll to stay out of either the the bunkering on the left or of the trees. If you can do that, you got a pretty easy shot in where you can set up a birdie chance, tends to funnel towards the hole usually. And hey, you know, it's our personal dream nine. This one's a, a personal favorite. I had the lowest score I've ever had playing. I shot 73 at, at the starboard course many years ago at Captain's. And um, this was a big hole because I birdied 16 to get uh, to that number. And I parred in from there. And I played with my dad and two of my closest friends. And um, it just left such a lasting memory. One of those golf memories I'll always remember for the rest of my life. So if you're on Cape Cod ever, check out the captain's course. Play the starboard one day, play the port one day, or do what I used to do when I was in my early 20s get there early and, and get 36 in. I, I don't know if I could pull that off these days out, but yeah, good, good, good place to spend uh, an afternoon on Cape Cod. Uh, the last one I have is a closer and that's the 18th hole at Caledonia golf and fish club, uh, which is in Pauly's Island, South Carolina, South of Myrtle beach. This was just such a, I don't know. I, I love the course. The entire golf course uh, had such a cool feel to it, but to finish on a hole like 18th at Caledonia and to finish my dream nine where, you know, I'm picturing it's the end of the day, probably five 30, even approaching six o'clock, the sun's starting to, to go down into the water into the marsh. Maybe it's about 75, 80 degrees out. And 
you look at this hole, it's a short, a shorter hole, 377. Uh, it's one of those, grab that hybrid, just get it into the fairway. You got water up the right side and it snakes uh, in front of the fairway if you go too long. So you want to hit that hybrid. And then your approach shot, it's short, probably 120 yards in from there, maybe 130. And behind the green, you have the clubhouse with the patio and rocking chairs and people who've just finished their rounds sitting there, you know, having a cold drink. They're probably gambling on whether or not you're going to make par or make birdie on the green coming in watching you. And it just kind of sums up the entire golf course. It's got a low country feel to it that I don't get a whole lot of being up in a lot of the hustle and bustle of Manhattan and New York, New Jersey, and the metro area. So to go down to that area of Pauly's Island, have that round and finish, and knowing that right there, one of those rocking chairs has my name on it with a cold drink afterwards. That's the perfect way to finish a round of golf for me. Love, love, love Caledonia. And it's been too long since I've been there. I'm, I'm actually so long that I'm like struggling. I'm, I'm looking at a picture of it and I'm struggling to think exactly of what that hole was like. So hearing you describe it again makes me want to go back even more. And yeah, the so the the captain's course, public, anyone can go Play it's a there. public uh, municipal run by the town of Brewster, and um, tea times are, are pretty easy to come by. It gets it gets busy out there, but they have it's great because you can go. Like I said, if you're really going after it, play 36. You could play 18 one day, 18 the next. They have they have a, a cool system where you know it gets busy up there in the summer where you can go out the back nine if you get there before. I think you have to tee off before 8 a.m. and you can play nine holes and they shoot you out the back, uh, which is great. So you can get a quick round in nine holes and then you know head to the beach or enjoy whatever else is going on on Cape Cod. So. Yeah, highly recommend if you get up there. There's a lot of great golf courses and, you know, great private courses up there. Uh, you know, Eastwood Ho comes to mind out on Cape Cod, which is, is highly private. But this is a public municipal course, and it's always in great condition, and it's a great layout. You have a lot of fun there. All right, so I'll go to my ultimate finishers, which are both 18th holes. I played by the rules here um, <laughs> in the order that we went in. The first one being the 18th at Royal Lytham in St. Anne's, uh, in Lytham, St. Anne's, England. And these are both holes, or both courses and holes that I've had the opportunity to play. So they particularly stick out in my mind as well. Um, I played that course right after the 2018 Women's British Open. Um, so, and that was my first kind of true links golf experience. That was special and in really great condition coming off that tournament. A lot of people will remember this is one of the courses on the open road all the way back to when Bobby Jones was one as an amateur there in 1926. And most recently Ernie Els won there in 2012. And that was the last time it was there. This is, it's one of the more unique, uh, clubhouses that, sticks out to me in my memory and red brick and red siding and you're going back in it's a sizable par four you're going to need a good good distance off the tee to have a mid iron into that green uh and i think even if there were grandstands up there but i think even if it there weren't any it would have kind of like a tournament finish feel to it um where you can kind of picture that and this one also i have a bone to pick with this hole a little redemption to attend to if i get back there at some point because i hit a really good drive second shot leaked right a little bit into one of the green side bunkers and proceeded to blade that bunker shot into one of the grandstands that was still up and i was able to go underneath the grandstand and get my ball out and you know, gave myself the benefit of the doubt that if their man-made obstruction wasn't there, I don't get docked any sort of strokes for this. Uh, but the rest of the hole, and we don't have to talk about how the rest of the hole went. It was a great finishing <laughs> hole, but it wasn't a great finish. And I'll uh -huh. just kind of leave it at that. Okay. Um, but that was uh, a special uh, experience for me, as was Pinehurst number two and the 18th hole at Pinehurst, uh, which I consider one of the best finishing holes in the game. Piner's so special because it's a couple hours from my hometown. Um, so it was always somewhere I wanted to get to. And when I had the opportunity to play it for the first time, um, it was kind of like one of those out-of-body experiences as well. But that's a hole I think of because I've played it and I've watched the pros play it 
uh, as a patron on site when they had the U.S. Open there. And then getting the chance to step onto that green, if you're lucky enough to hit the green uh, with your second shot. And even if you're not exactly where Payne Stewart made his iconic putt to win the 99 U.S. Open, play out the hole and then and go and, and find that spot. And his statue's right there with the, the fist pump and uh, and getting to try that putt out. It's, just, it's a really cool thing too and played that with my dad so it was just a great great experience i would add that as my finisher of my dream nine as well yeah what a great way to finish i've played the 18th at pinehurst as well and it's spectacular it's probably i could have put it i could have subbed it in on my list no question but finishing with the statue there the patio another one with the patio the rocking chairs the clubhouse right there that one's a little pressure packed they're so close to you there i remember i i bladed a shot over the green and it went where the grass meets the curb of the cart path right in front of the clubhouse not where you want to be chipping when is a a you know full gallery of people having lunch up there talk about pressure but uh what a great way to finish coming up that walk up 18 seeing the clubhouse seeing the statue in the distance perfect way to end end around the golf i agree with you yeah that's a good point too i hadn't previously recalled how close that you know a lot of these 19th holes are you got a little walk and a little ways people can kind of see from a distance but they're i mean you're right up on people finishing that hole and we yeah. sat out there and watched people finish after that, too. So, yeah, definitely not one you want to uh, sail one long. Um, <laughs> no, it could hurt someone, the, that's for sure. <laughs> not that you want to do that anywhere, but um, <laughs> certainly there. That'll do it for our our list of Dream 9 par 4s. You can make an 18-hole layout, or I guess a 17-hole layout, since we had one similar hole, and turn that into a quite the spectacular 18 hole course of all par fours that would uh, i don't know that would be a tough day if you had to play par fours all day long but that'd be a grind (laughs) yeah but thank you again ryan for participating and, and writing that up for us and inspiring me and hopefully others to to jot down their next dream nine of all par fours Absolutely. Enjoy enjoy coming up with your own green, uh, Dream 9. And remember, it's your Dream 9. So there, there's no right or wrong answers here. Just dream it up. And then uh, during these times like this, we can think about playing those holes. And it'll get us through these days where we're kind of cooped up indoors. Right, Al? Yep, exactly. And let's not forget that we've done threes, we've done fours. I think we have fives coming up on the way. So um, look forward to that in the near future. Uh, and I'll hope that Ryan can join me again so we can take a stroll through our dreams <laughs> and hopefully we're at a point where we can play some of these again. So absolutely. All right. Thanks for joining me, Ryan. All right. Thanks, Al. Appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs>